Welcome to Code Gray, an episode-by-episode retrospective of the Shonda Rhimes show, Grey's Anatomy. I'm Megan Totsky. And I'm Teresa Rosado. And each week we review an episode's characters, themes, song choices, deaths, and so much more. And we are starting from the very beginning. So episode nine, <laughs> who's zooming who? Um, just a classic from the title <laughs> to the end credits. <laughs> An Aretha Franklin song. Yeah. Huge improvement from our... <laughs> I was so excited. That's, that's great. I love... This is the finale. This is the season one finale, thanks to the writer's strike. Um, yeah. This is such a great episode. I absolutely love it. I love... I think it's a great episode. I also think it's a really, really wonderful finale in terms of, like, how... I don't know. Finales sometimes have, like, really big cliffhangers or just, like, overly dramatic. And I think that this is a very, very funny season finale. Um, I like the emphasis on each of the characters. I like that they um, sort of build on the foundation that they've been using just even in the last, you know, one or two episodes. So I don't know. I just wholly just think this is fantastic. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think it's a pretty understated cliffhanger in the sense that Derek is being shady throughout the whole episode, but you don't necessarily expect what's gonna happen yeah by the end of this episode yeah um and and it it quite literally comes out of nowhere and it's just so good oh, but we'll get to so that <laughs> we'll get to that oh it's so good <laughs> so um should we should we go ahead and start with george this episode simply because do we are we the, gonna should we do a summary the nexus oh yeah should and, we and you have to do it or <laughs> you're like, should we? We, well, we can skip it this time like around. It. <laughs> I think everyone fast forwards through it anyway. I've read a couple of reviews that say, oh, so good, except for that summary, yeah. really unnecessary. Yeah. So I think we should throw that out. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and do a summary now. <laughs> Let me get my timer ready. All right. Three, two, one go so in this episode there's an outbreak of syphilis at the hospital george gets it from olivia who apparently got it from alex um izzy and christina give a man a routine procedure which kills him and then they do an unauthorized autopsy in a awesome feat of good judgment um burke operates on his buddy who turns out to have an ovary he's um has a hermaphrodite he's a hermaphrodite of some sort um chief weber has a tumor <laughs> And Meredith finally tells someone about her mom, only to be rewarded by Derek's wife walking into the Stop. hospital <laughs> and introducing herself to Meredith. <laughs> I apologize right excellent. now for saying some sort of hermaphrodite. <laughs> because it's a very specific condition that he has. I think that it it's is. Like not a traditional, you know, not that there's yeah. the rare we'll, disease. We'll, we'll get, get into, into that as well, but we definitely don't mean any kind of <laughs> offense. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's a complex one to talk about. Whew. Um, that was really good. Covered a lot of ground. Yeah, the two weeks off like really helped you. Yeah, I think that's... you're so fresh. I appreciated your modeling. <laughs> yeah. Still don't have the calm that you do, but that's all right. <laughs> all right, let's start with George. George, why uh, George? <laughs> that's how my notes start this yes. week. Mine say George has the sif. Does he deserve it? <laughs> I think he does. <laughs> so we start out with George fully naked in the bathroom at the house. And he's hiding behind a comically large 
um, medical textbook. And he's definitely examining himself and comparing to pictures. Izzy's trying to get into the bathroom, and it, it's a really awkward scene where it's Izzy awkward. just assumes that George is masturbating. Yes. In the bathroom before work. Right. <laughs> <What? laughs> like, just the whole thing was so weird and unnecessary. I didn't need to see George naked. Right. Um, out of all the men on the show, I need to see George naked the least. That's really true. <laughs> that is really true. I also, I like your comment that <laughs> Izzy just sort of seems drunk <laughs> for a lot so of this drunk. episode and really starting from this point. Like, she has some just totally... <laughs> out there lines that just make me cringe with happy discomfort, you know? It's She's, just great. <laughs> she is really weird this episode, she you guys. Is. Yeah, yeah. It's great. <laughs> like she hasn't got she hasn't gotten laid in a while and it's getting to her. It is. She's Oh, it really is. Um and and George doesn't own up to that he's masturbating, but he refuses to tell Izzy what it is. He says something along the lines of like, "I'm a man and it's private," or something just like <laughs> awful, you know. <laughs> that is in no way reassuring to Izzy's cause. <laughs> exactly, and and, uh, and so Izzy eventually tells um, Meredith after George has like mumbled and like run away um <laughs> izzy tells a curious meredith that she caught him playing with little jimmy and the twins i can't believe so. you said it yep <laughs> i did <laughs> and so did she <laughs> which is obviously particularly embarrassing for george because he has a huge giant crush on meredith <laughs> yes <laughs> It's awful. This is a. Uh, I thought you were gonna say a huge giant something else, and I was like, <laughs> "Whoa, <laughs> is that a spoiler? Do we find that out?" Uh, I don't want to think about George's parts. <laughs> okay. So, after <laughs> I'm trying to, <laughs> you've really thrown me off with thinking of George's parts. <laughs> We've thrown our audience off. Everyone collectively just turned this episode off. Mm -hmm. So we also start with kind of um, a succession of mysterious phone calls. Right. Um, so Meredith is receiving phone calls from the nursing home where her mother, Ellis Gray, is. Um, we haven't seen Ellis or heard about Ellis in a couple of episodes mm -hmm. in any kind of length. Um, so you, you have to know that something big is going to happen with Ellis at some point in this episode. So she's trying, you know, she tells Derek that it's a wrong number. She's trying to keep that under wraps. Um, Christina is on the phone with the abortion clinic, um, which as you pointed about is still apparently trying to talk her out of having the procedure she has already scheduled. <laughs> So, <laughs> so that's a really big win for women everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> great work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I don't understand. Yeah, um, yeah, great. She's a medical professional. I think I think she I think she knows her well options. Knows. <laughs> yeah, what, <laughs> what she wants to do here. And then Derek is also avoiding mysterious phone calls. He keeps hanging up on someone, declining phone declining calls, and we don't know who mm -hmm. he's been talking to. So, yeah, so not talking to, as it were. Yeah, that's why I like the eventual sort of cliffhangers. I, I, I like what you said, that it's sort of understated because it's really, I mean, they sort of give them to us at the beginning, right? You can sort of see where things are going to go and you know that it's the finale, right? So you sort of see that it's, um, 
you can see the big sort of pillars of things that are going to unfold over the course of the episode, which I like. I think it makes it, you know, fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Sets up some juicy little seeds for us. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of juicy little seeds, there's a syphilis outbreak <laughs> at Seattle Grace. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. So George has been seeing Nurse Olivia, um, who's very sweet and is number one, I think, on our list of people we want to get on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Sarah Utterback, if you are at Sarah all listening, Utterback. please, please contact us at codegrays at gmail.com. We really want to talk to you. <laughs> and we unabashedly love you. So oh, yeah. You should know that. This isn't a, this isn't a George O'Malley situation. No, we no. think you're Although great. we do have questions. Yeah. I'm going to be yeah, upfront about that. I think she's with them because of the height thing. They, they yeah. look a good couple in terms of yeah. height. Yeah. They seem well matched. <laughs> I mean, visually speaking. <laughs> sure, sure. So there's a syphilis outbreak, um, and and George is pretty sure that he he's <laughs> on on top of like getting syphilis and examining himself as a medical professional against a book. He still cannot correctly diagnose syphilis in himself. <laughs> so who does he ask but Alex Karev? Um, and it's I I also love this scene. It's a very uncomfortable scene. <laughs> First of all, Alex is trimming his nose hairs when George walks into the locker room and asks And I'd him, like to point out, like, not with a nose trimmer. No, with a scissors. With scissors. <laughs> That's some attention to detail. It is. <laughs> and so George sort of works up the courage to ask Alex. And I love what you said here that, like, this is a great scene because Alex is a fucking grown-up. He just says to George, like... Drop your pants. Let's get this over as, as soon as possible. And it's just great. Like, it's so nice to see a doctor acting like a doctor to another yeah. doctor. Because you have George. He's, he's like, holding on to his scrub pants for dear life as if, <laughs> as if Alex is going to pull them off of him. And he also can't bring himself to say that he has a rash on his penis. He can't say the word penis. Nope. He's a doctor. He can't say the word penis. <laughs> And Alex, Alex calls that out. It's kind of located in a, you know, our friend right. Dr. George. It's called a penis. You have a rash on your penis? <laughs> <laughs> and then George is like, I think I could just describe it to you. And Alex is like, take your, take your pants off immediately. <laughs> and then he just squats down yep. and gets right up in there. Pops and, up and says, you've got syphilis. It's great. It's a great scene. <laughs> And they're an unlikely duo, which I also like. They could not be more different. Yeah, yeah. And I'd like to point out that Alex doesn't need a comically large medical text to diagnose syphilis. Right. So. One of the most common sexually transmitted infections. Exactly. So more points to Alex here. That's right. That's right. Early running for chief resident right there. <laughs> right there. Just, just for looking at a penis and not being weird about it. And correctly identifying the issue <laughs> yep yeah <laughs> so what happens with syphilis right is that he so then he of course has to tell olivia and he doesn't want to because he's a whiny baby um he's essentially not brave enough to have this conversation and granted having that conversation is, is obviously uncomfortable but um sure and they've just started seeing each other yeah. there's no indication that they've you know we don't know how much time has passed from the last episode so you know, that's awkward. We yes. Give 
give him credit for that. Eventually, he does tell Olivia, and and Olivia After calling her a prostitute. Right, right. <laughs> Accidentally, but still, he's fumbling in the stairwell, and she's sort of like being very patient with George. You know, she. It's very clear that she really, really likes him, and um, and he finally, you know, gets it out. Tells her that he has syphilis and she walks away. <laughs> Just like exits the scene. Um, and he's very confused. Um, so it of course comes to light that she was um, sleeping with Alex. And that's um, presumably how she got syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is less surprising than the fact that Alex Karev is a vector. For it's, it's truly. <laughs> truly. <laughs> And it's, I think the scene with Olivia is worth breaking down a little bit. Also, his conversation with Izzy ahead of his conversation with Olivia. Everyone around George is, is kind of just taking it, you know, as, as not a big deal. You have a sexually transmitted disease, right? You're going to get pumped full of penicillin and that's going to be the end of it. You Mm -hmm. know, who cares? George sees the syphilis situation as somehow indicative of like a moral failing of Olivia. (laughs) And that is just so tiring to watch. Yeah. Yes. Because it it is also an opportunity, like it could have been an opportunity for George to be better, you know, which we are all constantly looking for in him. And he time and time again does not show that. (laughs) Yes. And it's just not, it's, it's awful. I do, so I do also really love the scene when um, George has to get the shot of penicillin. So he has, of course, asked Alex to do it for him. (laughs) And he's bent over, the camera is facing George's face, and he's bent over a table. And all of his friends walk in, one after another, like a clown car, you know? (laughs) And I just love it. It's so, so, like unreasonable and would never happen but it's a delightful scene of all of his friends coming in and like sort of teasing George at how seriously he's taking all of this which I think sort of hits on what you were saying before that it shouldn't be a big deal and he's really really overreacting in all sorts of different ways yeah yeah it's a really great moment and I love the last frame of that scene is just the three women Izzy um (laughs) Yang and Mare and they're just laughing hysterically as George runs out of the room (laughs) and it's just like such a great victory like it's wonderful (laughs) especially because we're coming off of his sort of patriarchal bullshit regarding olivia's sexuality like how dare she you know have sex with someone before she had sex with him right you know and izzy Izzy even makes the point she's like fine she didn't give it to you she was a virgin when you met. And she was just rolling her eyes as she says it. And it's and it's a great point. It, he needs the wake-up call. They're, they're not, you know, children. They're not undergrads. They finished a medical school. So they've got to be in their late 20s. Yeah. What do you think Olivia's been doing all through her 20s? What, what, what have you been doing all through your 20s? I don't you know? think like, having sex with women, Teresa. Well, yes, that's fair. Okay, you got me there. To be very honest about it. (laughs) All right. So what do we have next? Should we talk a little bit? I know the case isn't particularly interesting, but should we talk a little bit about the um, idiotic idiotic decisions that Yang and Stevens make here with uh, Jordan Franklin? 
I always want to talk about our interns' idiotic decisions. Yeah, yeah let's do it. The, I, it never gets old. So, Jordan Franklin has a... He comes in for, like, a pretty routine procedure. Or, or It's not a routine procedure. He He's sick, and they have to essentially drain fluid from his stomach. And we don't need to get into his... <laughs> the his case at all because it actually is quite boring and i think that like the di the family dynamic there is boring as well but essentially yang and stevens have been tasked to do this procedure alone um and it's it's a big deal that you know they they don't get to do a lot of procedures alone i do not understand why they get to do this one alone they have never done it before yang has not even seen one before i'm sorry uh stevens has not even seen one before um and he codes during the middle of the procedure and dies and for no real other reason other than what I think is just pure curiosity, <laughs> Stevens wants to perform an autopsy. And the family has declined to have an autopsy, and they know that th he has not died because of this procedure. Um, he's a heavy drinker. They sort of just chalk it up to that, want to move on. Um, completely reasonable, I think. Stevens is chomping at the bit to do this autopsy. Bailey says no. The family has said no. And then she convinces Yang to do the <laughs> autopsy with her. <laughs> okay, I just don't, I just do not understand this series of events at all. They make so many stupid decisions, but this one is, like, not really talked about widely. Because eventually they do the autopsy and they find that he has this, you know, genetic condition that, um, you know, they didn't know about. And so they tell the family that he had the autopsy and, you know, they're, I guess, thank Yang and <laughs> Stevens borderline. And so, because it's, you know, they're, of course, at risk for getting it because it's a genetic condition. And I just have a really hard time understanding any piece of this case because of, like, how everyone responds seems so inappropriate. It seems everyone responds in such a mild way. Yes. I just, I don't, I don't understand it either. I would, I would challenge that they do it out of pure curiosity. I think that Stevens in particular is, she wants to know that it wasn't their fault. And I think that there's something to that with Yang as well. Yang, who is a little bit more down than she usually is. Yeah. I mean, this is her first procedure and the man died. And she's gone over it in her head. Um, they, they did it by the book. Bailey tells them she did it by the book. But she was still the one who did the procedure that indirectly led to this man dying. And so I think... It's even for Yang, who is not um, as as interested in patient outcomes as the rest of the interns. I think even for Yang wants to know, you know, that it that it wasn't her fault. That's the only way that Izzy convinces her <laughs> into this madness. <laughs> yeah, she... but it's still not a good reason. <laughs> yeah, I guess, and that's I guess that's what I'm getting at. I know that it is more more than just curiosity, but and is uh Izzy uses the line to to Christina like, "Oh, they'll call you 007." <laughs> and Yang is like, "Okay, we should do it." <laughs> you know? right. Because there's nothing worse than being compared to George, I would just like to point out. But Yang does have the really great, the really great line, the comeback. If I'm missing out on a real patient because of this, they're going to call me 007 because I've killed you. It's so good. It's so good. But it is, it's a totally baffling choice. Yeah, it really is. And it's, it's... It's a boring case and a baffling choice against that. That that like contrast between them. And and like you said, everyone's reaction to it is so mild. Even Bailey yeah. um has a mild 
in my opinion, a mild reaction to it, which is yeah. rare for her. She outlines what they could get in trouble for. I mean, I, I assumed I was like, they could, they could be facing both criminal and civil charges Absolutely. for going against the wishes of this family and performing the autopsy. And Bailey says that they could be arrested for assault, which I hadn't thought about, but that makes a lot of sense. Yes. <laughs> um, they did cut open a body that did not want to be cut open. Yes. Um, it's really messed up. Yeah. <laughs> Just yes. the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. That's about all I have to say about Jordan Franklin, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's totally unrealistic that yeah. the family would be like, yes. you know, oh, well, because you found out about this genetic disorder, you know, out of our gratitude, we're not going to pursue charges. Absolutely not. Yeah. They would... <laughs> They would 100% be like, well, thanks for that, and we'll definitely get that checked out at a different hospital, and also we're hiring a lawyer, so have a great <laughs> See day. See you in court. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's that's that case. Yeah. Um, one of our most promising interns almost uh, derails her career. Partway through her first year, so. As a semi-afterthought in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about Bill Adams. I think that this is an interesting case. I, I agree that I'm I'm sympathetic to both sides of this, of this story here, um, which I think is something that you had said. Do you want to take us through it? Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, sure. Make me talk about this guy's disorder. <laughs> <laughs> I already fucked it up once. <laughs> so Bill Adams is um, a really great friend of Burke, a, a best friend, it sounds like. Burke's going to be the godfather to um, his unborn child. Yeah, they're Kappa um, men. Yeah, they're, they're Kappa men. They were in the same frat at God. Tulane. And there's a really uncomfortable line um, at some point where he's like, you've gone from torturing pledges to torturing interns, huh? And I was just like, oh, gross. Why do we allow fraternities to exist again? Yep. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so he comes in um, and he has, he has like a mass and he's coming to get it checked out. He wants Burke to take a look at him, even though this is not Burke's specialty. And so he goes in with his pregnant, his very pregnant wife, and Burke ultimately discovers that Bill has an ovary in his bladder, and that's what's been causing this obstruction and this pain. So he has um, gonadal hermaphroditism, mm -hmm. and so he's not, he's not a hermaphrodite, right, in the sense that that we think of hermaphrodites having both um, both male and female, biologically male and female sexual reproductive organs. Mm -hmm. um, but he does, he does have one biologically female um, ovary in his right. system. <clears throat> and so he he obviously has to have it removed, but before he does, um, he and Burke have a series of frustrating conversations, but at the same time, I'm empathetic to what Bill particularly is going through. Yes. Yeah, so when Burke finds out that that Bill has an ovary when they're first just looking at the at the imaging 
Karev says something like, you know, I don't, I mean, it looks like an ovary. He just says it really offhandedly. And Burke is pissed off at him. Kind of shaped like an ovary. Dr. Flip answer, you're going to give your patient, Dr. Karev? This is one of my oldest friends. You might want to take this seriously. I'm sorry, sir. Better be. Like he has and said something <laughs> truly horrible about yeah. somebody. Like he has insulted How dare his character. You demean my best friend by using the O word. Yeah. Oh. It's like George and the word penis. Like, what the hell? Oh, you guys God. are doctors again. And you can tell by Alex's face that he's really confused because he still just think it thinks it looks like an ovary. Like right. he wasn't he's trying like to identifying be identifying a, a shape. <laughs> you know? He was like, I'm that's what I just <laughs> And then of course right? it's an ovary, which just is completely yeah. validating to me in a way that's totally separate from my feelings about this case. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Oh God. It's, so yeah, so Burke tells Bill that he has an ovary, and and Bill is is shocked, of course, and understandably, that's you know that's going to shake a person. But he says, you know, am I am I still a man? And Burke just kind of goes over the top with his answers. Still a man, right? A man's man, a cap man. I mean, you know, my sex life. Been having any problems? Was it my very pregnant wife that gave it away? <laughs> I laughed out loud in the scene. And I and I agree that, like, I am very sympathetic to Bill. But Burke is, like, oh, it's just sort of insufferable to watch him and his sort of, like, fe- not fear of women. But it's just the masculinity here is just <laughs> really over fear, the top. <laughs> fear of the feminine. Like, fear, fear right, of being associated right. with femininity. Yes. Right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. It, and it's, I think we talked about this in the early episodes. This is like an ongoing issue in the early seasons of Grey. Grey is where it's like, you know, if you want to demean someone um, or really get under their skin, you're going to in some way associate a man with femininity, right. which somehow detracts from his masculinity, which is just, this is not a plus and minus equation. Like, right. <laughs> it doesn't make any damn sense. And it's frustrating to see Burke, an older man, a very accomplished man, be so fragile <laughs> in right. his masculinity. Right. Um, and it's a reminder that that masculinity is, is, like, the masculine ego is the most fragile thing in this world, I think. <laughs> so then, what happens next with our friend Bill Adams? <laughs> yeah, so so Bill's having a really rough day, as Alex points out, because they find out during the procedure to remove the ovary. They bring in, um, a, you know, OBGYN. someone else, yeah. an OBGYN. Um, and she says, you know, you said that this man's wife is pregnant. And Berg's like, yeah, yeah, of course. They have a lot of heterosexual sex. <laughs> Um, in all the right ways, it, they don't do anything weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Boy. the ladies, yeah. And the lady's like, well, he has a blind vas deferens. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Um. <laughs> you are. Which means, <laughs> which means that he's sterile. So, oops. <laughs> and George and, is in there like, whoa, what, what does that mean? 
Yeah, he goes, so who got his wife pregnant? Like, just state the fucking obvious, George. Like, come on. (laughs) You don't have to say out loud everything that goes through your head, George O'Malley. Okay? (laughs) Oh, God. So, of course, it implies that his wife has been sleeping with somebody else. um, And Burke is there and is obviously upset. Yeah. Yeah. And he's conflicted. Um, He wants the wife to come clean to Bill. Mm -hmm. And he has a really interesting conversation with Bill's wife where she's just like, nah. Yeah. (laughs) She has no sympathy. It's amazing. Zero. Like she's thought through it and is like, no, I'm I'm not going to do that. She's like, you know, what Bill, what Bill doesn't know can't hurt him. I don't know. I would love to know about like the writing of this character. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And anyway, Burke is, of course, like, you know, well, I'm not just his friend. I'm his doctor and I'm not going to lie to him. And so that's ultimately we don't see the conversation or we don't hear the conversation. We just kind of see it from a distance through a musical montage. Um, But props to Burke for, you know, standing up for his friend. Yeah. His friend's wife is like possibly totally conscienceless. Consciousnessless. No? Conscienceless. Conscienceless. Lacking conscience. Really glad I got this <laughs> pop filter because there's a lot of S's in that word. <laughs> I horribly mangled. So that's Bill Adams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And I, I pointed out earlier that I completely forgot that Burke made that choice that you know you know had that conversation with bill and i think that that did that was a good moment for him after a a string of sort of morally questionable (laughs) comments from burke (laughs) it was a good choice just just tired just some tired very tired (laughs) so then we've got um chief weber he has a tumor expecting Mm -hmm. his eyesight it's not terribly interesting (laughs) it's really not your one note on it says tumor (laughs) I will point out that none of these cases are all that interesting. Um, And I think they intentionally don't dig into the medicine in this particular scene because so much is going on with our characters. Um, And I appreciate that. You know, I sort of appreciate that sort of like nod. (laughs) We're not going to, you know, dig deeply into the um, any of these any of these cases. Um, I think you said it makes sense on the you know, writing on the back of um, episode eight, Save Me, which right. was so patient centric. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, a nice, it's a nice return. Yeah. I think the chief's case more than anything, you know, we're apparently not supposed to be all that concerned that he has a tumor. Um, <laughs> it, you know, people have like some concern, but not a lot. Um, I think that it actually serves as sort of a vessel for secrecy. Um, mm-hmm. The chief is really concerned about everybody finding out about his tumor just sort of on theme with this particular episode of secrecy, right? Um, so he's assembled sort of his closest confidants, um, Bailey and Derek and Meredith, are all going to be operating on his tumor. And he's, you know, comes through fine and his eyesight is restored. But I do think that, like, that's sort of the purpose of this particular case is, first of all, showing, like, a little bit of a crack in the chief that he's older, you know, to highlight his relationship with Derek um, and where his trust lies. But but more than anything, um, that it's sort of on theme with, with secrecy here. Yeah. And he also um so he regains his his eyesight mm-hmm. and then you know 
at the exact same time that Meredith and Derek are having a moment outside of his room, which we'll get into. But so he symbolically like sees for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you made some really great points about why that's yeah, why you that's know, an important moment. So everybody's really worried about about the chief and whether or not he's going to be able to see again because the tumor is pushing on his optic nerve. So they just everybody's sort of waiting for him to just wake up, and he wakes up and he sees Derek and Meredith. Um, and his it's like an important, really like multi layered uh, moment for the chief. He sees, he can see, great. Got his eyesight back. <laughs> super important. He also sees Derek and Meredith for the first time, which is huge. Which is huge, right? Everybody else. This is sort of coming out. Um, more people know uh, every episode that we watch, but the chief is obviously very important because he's the boss of not only um, Derek. At this point, has been the the highest one that has known um, in terms of of the the hospital, right? And now Derek's boss knows as well as Meredith's boss. So. That's important. It's also we have established that the chief and Derek are are buddies. You made the point that they um he was his mentor. Uh, the chief was possibly Derek's mentor in some way, shape, or form before the show. Um, so presumably the chief knows uh, that Derek is married, and he knows about about Addison. So he calls Meredith in and says, you know, he, you know. You sh- he's your boss. He's a- attending your intern. Like you're making a huge. I'm telling you what your mother i i don't have the line exactly in my head i'm telling you i'm telling you what your mother would if she were here that you're making a big mistake um and that moment is really important because he's showing that he knows about addison without saying it um he's sort of saying that to us because we're about to be introduced to her he's warning her about her career which i think is valuable and it shows some um vested interest in meredith as a young doctor i also think that it shows the line about ellis about her mother shows that he knows Ellis, right? Um, I think it's sort of revealing yeah. that he had, um, there's just more there, right? That there's there's more beneath the surface there. And I think that he really conveys that to Meredith in a in a way that I think is particularly intriguing for us as audience, as audience members, as watchers of the show. So I think I, I like that. I think that's a great Shonda moment for for everyone because she wraps like 10 different things all up in essentially a less than 30 second scene. Um, and I think that that's, I love that. I think that it's sort of quintessential grays, but I think that we can really dig into that moment, which I really, I always really like doing with this show. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, it's just such a great, um, so like, I guess, arbiter of things to come Yes. in, in a pretty understated way. Yeah. So you'll, we will sort of return to the scene mentally after events in, in the next couple of seasons, which, which, you know, is that's the marking of a really good scene. <laughs> right, right. It's something that, you know, for those of us who have seen this um, show all the way through many times can touch back to this, like you said. And if you're if you're watching it for the first time, um, I think it's equally potent. You can really feel that there's a lot there, um, which, yeah. like you said, is a mark of a good scene. So it's a great moment. Yeah. And it brings us sort of to the Meredith and Derek situation, the big one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In, you know, the ending of this episode is particularly heartbreaking because Meredith, in just a truly fine moment of acting by Ellen Pompeo, um, she she decides to come clean to Derek about her mother. Um, and she she's just kind of staring at him for a little while while he's like jotting notes, you know, and you can just see the wheels turning like. I I think it's going to be okay. I can tell him this thing. He can 
Yeah. She can share this weight with me. You can see her trusting him in that moment. She's like, she's weighing it out. You know, do I trust him enough for this? Do I? And you can see the balance tip in his favor. Yes. Right. It's, it's really truly wonderful acting. I agree. It's a, it's a beautiful scene. And she has a beautiful line where she says about her mother to Derek. She isn't traveling. She isn't writing a book. She isn't anything. Which is such a like poignant and heartbreaking meditation on Alzheimer's. First of all, she isn't anything, but then, you know, it's, it's a great moment because she finally explains about the Alzheimer's to Derek who responds exactly as he should. He's, he's supportive. He's loving, you know, he asks, why didn't you tell me, but not in an accusatory way. No, just in a, I could have, I could have been here for this way. You can sort of see his heartbreaking for her in that moment. Yes. Um, you can, I think that there are, one of the reasons, this scene is obviously so heartbreaking for what comes next, but you can really see their chemistry there. Um, I think that you can see their chemistry as as doctors, but also just, um, you, you just really sort of believe in them in that moment. Definitely, definitely. And you believe that it's, um, which I know you're getting at, you believe that it's not just this physical connection, um, yeah. which... Compared to, for instance, Burke and Yang, who who aren't there yet. It's right now when you see them, it's it's like they're a sexual live wire, right? Yes. Like <laughs> <laughs> yes. they so clearly just want to jump each other all the time. Um, and with Meredith and Derek, because we're further along in their in their arc, it's you can tell that it's so much more. Um, and it's nice. Their their scenes are reassuring and quite lovely at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I so forgot. what a great time to destroy it all. Yeah, how about that? So they and they and that's what the chief sees, right? This sort of loving moment. He's touching her hair and hugging her and whatnot. And then they meet down in the lobby to um <laughs> to leave. Presumably, D- Derek says something like, "He's going to take her out for dinner. There's a steak with your name on it, or something." And I, like, having seen this episode before... Like Meredith, like, whatever, eat a steak. Right, but I anyway, know. go on. <laughs> Come on. There's a leaf of lettuce with your name on it. Yeah. And a cigarette. <laughs> and tequila. Exactly. <laughs> a square meal right there. Um, and, you know, he's helping her put on her coat, whatever, and... There, he's got his arm around her. It's just a moment wrapped up in love and trust, and you just feel really great about it. Um, and you can just tell there's something horrible looming. Um, and who walks in but this woman? And she's got red hair. She looks hot as shit. She's in all black. She's, she's got heels stunning. ten feet tall. Um, she's got red lipstick on. It's just she just looks amazing. And she walks up, and Derek sees her. Meredith sees her, and Derek looks at Meredith and says, "Meredith." I'm so sorry. And she, you know, says, starts to talk to Derek. Very, her confidence is just emanating, right? It's emanating through her, through Derek and Meredith, and out into the world through our TV screens. Meredith is literally, like, shrinking inside next to this woman. Yes. And she doesn't, she doesn't get, you know, she doesn't know. She's completely ignorant in this until, until this famous line at the end, you know, Addison is sort of, um, you know griping on not griping but sort of picking on Derek and saying like you should answer my calls what have you been doing you know you'd know why I was here if you'd answer my calls yada yada acknowledging all of his mysterious phone calls throughout the episode and then looks at Meredith (laughs) and says hi I'm Addison Shepard 
and you must be the woman who has been screwing my husband. And there's this breath that that Meredith takes. She says, I'm Addison Shepard. And she looks at Derek and she says, and I'm, you must be the woman who's been screened my husband. And she takes this inhale of breath and it's just, it's like her last breath. You know? <laughs> it's like the sound her heart makes when it cracks in two. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's fantastic acting on all parts. I think um, it, it just, it's such a good scene. I just fucking live for it. I just, has any character on any show ever been introduced as well as Addison Montgomery Shepard. No, no. It's just... It, it's just so, so good. Yeah. I absolutely and, adore it. And that sets us up for season two in just a huge, heartbreaking, awesome way. Yeah, I think you really have to be a certain kind of person to turn on season two of this show after that. You know, like, <laughs> knowing... <laughs> Knowing what a, like, fucking blender of emotions this show has already been in nine episodes and knowing what you're walking into next. You know, like, you now know just how, you know, strong, simultaneously strong and fragile Meredith is. And now that you've just seen her totally crushed by this, you really have to be, I don't know, you kind of got to, you got to like pain a little bit in order to flip on season two, episode one. I mean, I think that's kind of a great um, descriptor of the Grey's Anatomy audience. Like, yeah. we're all a certain kind of people. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> I think that's right. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, uh, I don't know. Which betrayal do you think is worse? The fact that Derek doesn't tell Meredith that he's married, or the fact that Derek doesn't tell Meredith that he's married to a woman 10 times hotter and more fabulous than Meredith. <laughs> oh, God. Because like, I feel like the realization from, for Meredith is, like, twofold. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think like, so, too. Oh, shit, he's married. And then, oh, shit, that's who he's married I to. Would, I would almost liken it to when George finds out that Meredith is with Derek. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yes. oh, fuck. Oh, you're so right. <laughs> you know, like... Shit. <laughs> you are so right. That is the perfect parallel. Yeah, you know, just like, I thought that I was okay, and it turns <laughs> out I'm a two on a scale of nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and I think that, like, as an audience member, again, the Grey's Anatomy fan base, you have to be really excited to see Addison after that. You know what I mean? Like, you have to be just... So excited to see what she does next. I just, oh, yeah. I just love her so much. Yeah. Oh, me too. <laughs> God. So Kate so Walsh. <laughs> well, all right. Should we get into our bits? Yeah, I mean, that's where the episode ends. Yeah. So uh, let's do it. Let's get into the bits. Love it. My bits are all over the place this week. Just so you know. <laughs> That's great. And I think we have like a lot of uh, um, sort of points where we differ, which is good. Yeah, We're usually so in sync. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go ahead and start with Song of the Week. Yeah, I, um, I gave this to um, Iron and Wine with Naked As We Came, which is probably my all-time favorite Iron and Wine song. Mm -hmm. um, it, it For an episode that... Um, 
I don't want to say praise on our characters' feelings, but really has a lot to do with character development. Um, putting this song in there just, I, oh, the song just totally moves me. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great song. It's probably for me my um my second favorite Iron and Wine song of mm-hmm. all time. Shout out Resurrection Fern. Mm. Um but it's so good and it's it's such a beautiful addition to the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just awesome. It's well we love Iron and Wine. Absolutely. We're, yes. <laughs> they they hit like all the right notes for they us. Really do. So. They really do. <laughs> um, um but what did you have? I chose the dog song by Nellie McKay, yeah. and not just because I was trying to kiss up to you, but because <laughs> it, it accompanies one of my just absolute favorite sort of comic sequences of yeah. the show. It's when Yang has gotten into the line, um, the syphilis line is what they're calling it, the line to be tested, and Burke sees her from the elevator and then comes over, and they have this conversation where they're <laughs> never looking at each other. Yes. About, like, do I need to be in this line? No. Do I? No. <laughs> it's just, it's awesome. <laughs> and then the dog song's just, just playing in the background. Just like and it's like piping along in the background. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> They're like, it's like funny girl rap. It's great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's very well suited. Time death. Death tally? Yeah. I counted one for Jordan Franklin. Yes. Did you give an no additional death? Really. I gave an additional death. You know me. I like my symbolic deaths. Yeah. 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 Um, so I count the symbolic death of Mare Dare. <laughs> so. <laughs> Which, if you don't do it with a slash, is murder spelled with an E. And I really like that. <laughs> I love it. I can get on board with that. That's great. Uh, but yeah, that dies. Um, a very tragic, excellent, fabulous death. <laughs> For 007. 007. 007. I, I, I had a moment where I was pissed off at Krev for not communicating that he had syphilis. Um, <laughs> Which was a really good point. Like, I mean, come on. I know that he was a good doctor when he correctly diagnosed it, presumably also on himself. Um, but I was pissed off that he didn't communicate it. But I agree with your 007, which was? Oh, yes. My 007 was a tie between Izzy and Yang um, because they jeopardize their own careers. They jeopardize the career of Miranda Bailey. And they ultimately jeopardize the hospital as a whole, mm-hmm. all while directly acting against the will of a patient's family. So, great Joint work. 007. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Chief Resident was really hard for me this week. So um, hard. Everyone was terrible. And, and part of, I mean, not everyone was like a terrible doctor. Some of people were terrible doctors. But... Um, there just wasn't a lot of focus on the medicine, you know, like yeah. I could see sort of a couple of half-assed chief residents, um, you know, <laughs> Derek with the tumor, maybe Bailey-ish. I mean, like there's just not a whole lot of, of meat there yeah. for me. Yeah, I agree. I, I sort of half-heartedly gave it to Burke for telling his friend the truth about his wife and their baby. So for first being a good doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also for being a, for being a good friend. Yeah. So 
That's, yeah. I guess, my chief resident. But he lost a shit ton of points for his fragile ego yes. throughout the whole yes. episode. Crev of the week. Uh... <laughs> I I tr- I guess I truly so many <laughs> uh, so many um I guess I truly think it has to go to Derek for me um <laughs> just because his, I mean <laughs> it just has to I mean if a Krev is like somebody who's a huge fucking asshole then the guy cheating on his wife is... <laughs> who has been for nine episodes yeah. um with the protagonist of our show yeah um it's for me it's got to go to Derek yeah. Yeah, I think Derek, I think I said he's the big picture um, mm-hmm. Karev here. Yeah. And I think for all of pretty much season two, he's going to continue to be the big picture Karev. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that should prohibit us from focusing on, like, the local Karevs. Right. <laughs> um, the, the, the state level. specific Karevs, yeah. <laughs> he's the national right. Karev, he's right? the federal and... <laughs> So I'm giving it to George mm. for this week. Um, George doesn't usually get Karev of the week because he's not an asshole. He's just an incompetent, bumbling dipshit. Um, but this episode, he's a huge jerk to a lot of people. He's an asshole to Olivia mm-hmm. in ways that reflect our, you know, structural, like, systemic patriarchy. Um, so <laughs> great work being complicit in that. He's a jerk to Izzy and, like, not in a funny way. Like, he's really mean to Izzy. Yeah, who's, like, his best friend, so. Yeah, and who's definitely, like, you know, I don't know, kind of going after him in, like, a funny way. And I can see how that's annoying, but he's still a jerk. Yeah. Um, And then he does deck Karev after tackling him to the ground. Um <laughs> In the intern locker room when Alex didn't do anything. Like, yes, he had syphilis, but, like, that's not really why he decks Karev. He decks Karev for sleeping with Olivia, which is stupid because it's a free goddamn country. George and Olivia aren't married. (laughs) She can sleep with whoever he wants, you know? Yep. So I think decking a fellow intern. I mean, that's Karev given Karev the Karev before. So <laughs> yeah. if it's yeah. only fair. <laughs> yeah. I was impressed by the punch he landed. Yeah. Um, but it was also kind of a sucker punch in the sense that Alex didn't know what was happening. He was, he could have been trimming his nose hairs again, you know? Like, right. <laughs> he did not know what was coming. His not life. at all. It's the only reason George got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> line, do the line yeah, of the week? Yeah, let's do the line of the week. I mean, I think that there's... I think we are in agreement here. Yeah, this is the one. It's, you, <laughs> oh, it's so good. You must be the woman who's been screwing my husband. It's it's for sh- for sheer dramatic effect. Yeah, it's got to go to Addison it, Montgomery. It, it has to. It's also the last line of the season too. You know, yeah. like nobody speaks after that, and it's just it's the last oh, line so that potent. Meredith ever hears. Yeah, because she, she dies. dies. <laughs> so. We should add her to the death tally. Yeah, no, that's true. She presumably dies after this episode, and it's also the series finale. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We won't know for sure until the season two premiere, if she lives or dies. So that's the second cliffhanger for Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's... It's going to Addison. But yeah. we, there were a lot of zingers in this episode. It's a funny yeah. episode. There's a lot of great lines. Yeah. I mean, Izzy, you know, is drunk for the whole episode. <laughs> right. So she has a lot of great lines. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah. 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 
we're going to transition now into our medical fact of the week, which is not a medical fact of the week. Right. Um, I'm a little nervous, actually. I feel really anxious right now. <laughs> um, but we wanted to, you know, we keep the show um, pretty, well, local, as we said. <laughs> um, but no, we keep it pretty specific to the episode that we're dealing with, both to avoid spoilers and be friendly to newbies, but also because, you know, we're doing a, a sort of revisit of the show and it's more fun that way. Mm-hmm. But so we don't really get into current events outside of the show. Definitely. That's not what we're about. Or into things that happen in most recent seasons. But a cast member of later seasons of the show, I think he comes in in season um, five? I think five, yeah. Yeah. Jesse Williams eventually um, plays Avery Jackson. Jackson uh, Avery. Oh, Jackson Avery. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> and he um, he recently accepted the Humanitarian Award at the BET Awards. Um, I think... Two weeks ago, a week ago, two weeks ago. And in his acceptance speech, um, it's a beautiful speech, and he gets into issues related to Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. a movement that I personally support 100%. So (laughs) here for that all the time. But he he gets into sort of wide-ranging issues, talking about just sort of systemic racial prejudice beyond just police brutality, but specifically also discussing police brutality. Yeah. And we're going to link to the video, and I think on our on our website, code-grays.tumblr.com, I've already posted the transcript mm-hmm. of the speech, and you should definitely... Check it out. And we we just wanted to get into sort of what that speech meant to us as fans of the show, as, as fans of Jesse's activism um, and his incredibly thoughtful work that he's done outside the show. And also Shonda's response and a response from a small segment of supposedly fans of Grey's Anatomy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I have my doubts. Yeah. You know, I think that... Um, One of the reasons that we did want to bring it up is because I do think that it touches on some of the things that we really love about um, the Shondaland franchise and Grey's Anatomy specifically. Um, He touches a bit on sort of cultural appropriation of African-Americans and what, more specifically as a presenter at the BET Awards, what people of color do with their money and power. And he, he, again, you should read the speech, but he talks a little bit about how just being at an awards at a, a you know an award show is, is not enough mm-hmm. and that there's a call to do more with that kind of power you know sort of with great power comes great responsibility and he really puts out a call to that to his to his peers in that room but i think that particularly looking at african american artists and entertainers and how they're represented and portrayed is something that we really appreciate about Grey's Anatomy and i think that Shonda has done a very intentional and very good job of in in this particular show yeah absolutely And he has, I just want to read the final Mm -hmm. graph of his speech, um, because I think this really touches on what we're talking about and why we appreciate what Shonda Rhimes has done for television, really. Mm -hmm. But he says, we've been floating this country on credit for centuries, yo, and we're done watching and waiting while this invention called whiteness uses and abuses us. 
burying black people out of sight and out of mind while extracting our culture, our dollars, our entertainment like oil, black gold, ghettoizing and demeaning our creations, then stealing them, gentrifying our genius, and then trying us on like costumes before discarding our bodies like rinds of strange fruit. The thing is, though, the thing is that just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real beautiful God, just it gives me goosebumps every time i read it yeah the gentrifying our genius and trying us on like costumes yeah bodies like ryan's a strange, strange fruit. Fruit. i mean that's, it's poetry i mean yeah truly absolutely truly um and and that's that's so much a part of contemporary media right is yes. is taking from black culture capitalizing on it and and then not providing credit or support mm -hmm. financial or popular to actual, you know, black made and black centric media properties. Yeah. And he's he's speaking at the at the BET awards so he's talking about black entertainment, of course, but he's he's also just done a lot of work for black and brown people generally, just mm -hmm. people of color. And that's that's hugely powerful and important, and in sort of a a micro way, it's it's very important to me, and it's it's what I've spent like the last many years working on in graduate school and yeah. outside, is talking about these issues of representation, and that's clearly something that Shonda takes very seriously. Oh yeah, um, and if you she, want to get into her response a little bit. Yeah, and she's. I mean, she has talked about this outside of this particular instance on many occasions. Um, yeah. in some of her own acceptance speeches and some of her own, you know, TED talks and different things that she's done, has spoken di pretty directly about about these very, um, very things. So, um, we sort of already know that she's going to be on board, right? She she tweets pretty. <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe a couple days after, and she's she says, "In woods far from Wi-Fi, get signal. What I miss." Quote, just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real. Jesse Williams' Williams's speech, yes. Um, so yeah. just sort of like outright support, right? Particularly for that last potent line, which she obviously lives out every day. And, and so that's, you know, immediately shows support, which I think is wonderful. And then there's this backlash against Jesse Williams. It's a petition by a woman who, who's has started a change.org petition where you can start a petition for anything. And really great use of change.org, by truly. the way. Her name is Erin Williams, and she started a petition to get Jesse Williams fired from Grey's Anatomy. And she her argument is essentially that he is it's hate speech. His his speech is hate speech. It's racist. Her argument is that if, if he were a white guy with the same speech where black is replaced with white, he would have been fired. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will give Aaron Williams that credit. Um, but just truly missing the mark, you know, and then she goes on to, of course, use hashtag all lives matter, hashtag equal <laughs> consensus for racial behavior, all humans bleed the same color, etc. Much of the... Um, Sort of, but some people are, you know, bleeding more frequently, right? Um, so <laughs> that's important to note. <laughs> and it's it's it has more than ten thousand signatures. 
which, you know, is feels like a lot, but in reality is not a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you consider that 22 million people watched um, episode nine, the episode we just talked about. Right. <laughs> 10,000 white people signing this petition. Shane fire Jesse Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, y'all. <laughs> and it's, I mean... I it's so so it, the petition is so I'm sorry it's just so fucking stupid um that's a personal opinion from me <laughs> but it's so then Shonda reacts to it um Jesse Williams reacts to it and says like you know tweets and says presumably about this petition do not promote empty people in their tantrums peer, peer clickbait to gain followers attention and money for themselves not you never you true and then right and then <laughs> And then Shauna kind of drops the mic on the whole issue, you know, <laughs> like there has been some talk about this since then. But um, Shonda Rhimes says, um, people who don't need a petition, <laughs> hashtag Shondaland rules <laughs> and just sort of like closes this issue, you know, just like shuts it down. Yeah. And I think it's wonderful. It's not only support for Jesse, but support for the cause and support for her her shows and her people and the way she runs her business, which I will tell you is incredibly successful. So I just think <laughs> yeah. that it's it's so important. I just love it. I and I love how she's just like, shut up. <laughs> you know? It's great. Yeah. I just I love the hubris involved in the petition because the woman, um, Shonda <laughs> She's so first of all, she's a black woman, so yeah. know your audience. <laughs> Secondly, she owns, literally owns an entire night of television yep. on ABC. So if you think that ABC is going to suggest to her that she fire one of her principals because of 10,000 <laughs> angry white people, you are delusional. <laughs> Shonda Rhimes is probably the most important person in television right now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so you can bet absolutely everything that she's going to continue to use her clout to perpetuate colorblind casting to continue to diversify diversify television properties both directly and indirectly by pressuring shows on other networks to copy the same successful formula yep um which is so shit she's been doing for yeah. a dozen years right Two, like that since 2005 <laughs> like that's true i i just think that that's so hubris is exactly the right word of like it's just so incredibly disconnected from the reality. Yeah. Um, it's like white privilege is hashtag white privilege is believing that you have similar power to um, a black media mogul. <laughs> that's, it's a perfect example of white privilege. It really is. It really, really is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so anyway, we just, you know, we, um, we're not going to make a habit of getting into this kind of talk. We really only touch on the political when it comes up in the show, and, mm -hmm. it's, and it's worth sort of exploring in greater detail. But I think we both just wanted to give, you know, full-throated support to Jesse Williams, to Shonda Rhimes, um, to Black Lives Matter activists. Absolutely. Um, and to people of color generally. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's been a, it's been as everybody knows in present day that it has been a very rough few 
I was going to say days and then I was going to say weeks and then months came into my head. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we are um, here, I guess, just to, to spread the spread the light we can. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, we are going to be back in two weeks um, yeah. with the start of season two. We're so excited. Thanks so much for listening. Please, as always, check us out on iTunes and Podbean. Please subscribe, share with your friends. You can check us out on Tumblr as well, code-grays.tumblr.com. And we are also on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at code underscore grays underscore. (laughs) There's a lot of Twitter users out there, people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and as always of course reach out to us um, if you have questions thoughts ideas etc yeah at uh, codegrays at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you and uh, we'll see you in two weeks thanks guys